Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's host. There, there. This week's host. I can't talk. Let's start this again. A great opening. No, that was great. That was great. Leave it on. Leave it on. <laughs> no, let's. Okay. It, Who's that? It'll Who's rank. that even? <laughs> oh What's <happening>? God. <laughs> I'm here with my co-host Eddie Webb. Hello. And Matthew Dawkins. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, this week we're doing something a little different. Um, instead of our normal, we talk for a minute and then we cut to an interview. As you already heard, we have Neil Price here with us. Yep. Hi, guys. Yep. Nope. Yep. Everybody's so enthusiastic. Hi, Hi Neil. Neil. <laughs> Actually, you only ever say nope when you're happy to be saying no. Do you ever notice that? Like, hey, can you drive me to the airport at three in the morning? Nope. Like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I don't think like the county coroner has ever said, uh, "Did he make it?" Nope, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, you're like, "Hey, did your rival fail at a thing?" You're like, "You're like, nope." Well, actually, no. You'd be happy about that. That'd Never be mind. Yep. That'd be yep because yep. You don't say yep if if it's sad news, do you? Yeah. No, you don't. You don't go yep. Yeah. <laughs> So really, was all, all of the P-sounding affirmatives or negatives are, are enthusiastic is what we've learned from this. Mm, let yeah. me think on that. And this is what we're talking about for the next hour and 45 minutes. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about linguistics. Yay. Uh, no, actually, so we're going to be doing a deep dive on Scion, uh, which is super cool. So we have Neil here. There are two books out for it already and a whole bunch more being worked on for Scion 2nd Edition. I know you've heard us talk about it a little bit before and you've probably heard our actual play and if you haven't, you should go listen to it. What are you even doing? I <laughs> scream the word fuck way too much so it's That's not true. safe for children. Um, what, Eddie joined me way though. Too much? I mean, how much is too much really? <laughs> when it's me and you, I don't know. That's the problem <laughs> of uh, being raised in the punk scene is that it just right. becomes another word to you. It just, it's and, just punctuation, really. Yeah, yeah. And then you end up, you know, at a mall in front of several small children. Uh, what the fuck is that? Oh, shit. <laughs> Very tiny children near me. I have okay. done that. I have done that. I feel, I feel bad now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to get started on Scion. I figured we'd start with book one, Origin. Um, so, Neil, I know that we've interviewed you before. talked a little bit about kind of like how you came to the project. So we, we need to rehash all that. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the story path system kind of at its root before we start expanding on it with all the pantheons and like scion specific things. So do you want to talk a little bit about the genesis of the story path system? What was used to, what was originally like all the sardonic system and all kinds of different names for it. I know you and Eddie both have some experience with uh, the mm-hmm. genesis of that project. Yeah. Sardonics was a name we used because we couldn't come up with a name for the project. And um, there was, an inordinate amount of time and energy being spent on what are we going to call this project? That's we every back, project. That's like every project. And we went yeah. back and forth for days and I'm like, this is stupid. We need a working title. So I went with sardonics and people were like, that's a dumb name. I don't, I don't like that name. Cause reasons, reasons, reasons. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. It, it, it <laughs> needs a, it needs a working title. So that's, that's, if you hear the word sardonics, that's where that system came from. We eventually settled on story path, which was funny because Rich um, came to me and he's like, so we're going to call the system Story Path. I'm like, great. And he's like, so there needs to be some sort of path thing in there. I'm like, cool. Thanks for thanks for telling me that. Um, <laughs> there were there were a couple of elements of that in the system design. We um, I wanted to basically take a take a very traditional games approach to the design, 
which I think we absolutely have. Um, but I wanted to bring in um, and hybridize a lot of more modern story game mechanics in there. So it was designed with a lot of what uh, my friend and fellow developer Malcolm Shepard calls bells and whistles or bells and levers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's a lot of things in Story Path that you can hang other mechanics off of, like the milestone system, the, um, the, the, the twist of fate or dramatic editing system. You can make that diegetic. You can make that adiegetic. You can do a lot of things with it, and you can uh, transform the system according to what you want it to be for the setting, which was good because the very first thing that Rich told me and when we were first talking about the system needs is he said it needs to be um, able to handle man on the street and God in the sky, right? Right, which Saiyan should be able to do no matter what, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was first being designed for Scion's home system, and Trinity was sort of going ahead with its own system, and Rich was like, "Well, why don't we just unify the two? And there, there, there were there was some reticence to do that at first, but on further reflection, it makes sense um, because the power scale of Trinity and the Trinity Continuum very much mirrors Scion. Um, Adventure sort of has the level of uh, of hero, and Scions effectively can get up to about a demigod level strength, and ab- aberrants start at the demigod level strength and get up to well you know the beyond that of gods um i I, i've actually been chiding steve kenson recently because um he reworked scale a little bit for aberrant to give a little more granularity in the way the powers are displayed and the top tier of it is godlike and i was like steve they actually have more scale than actual gods in another game And uh, Steve he always uses that to post the uh, the the puny god gift from the Avengers of the Hulk smashing Loki. So which was appropriate. Yeah, totally appropriate. Very funny. Yeah, that makes a really weird kind of sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so since you already started talking about it, why don't we talk a little bit about scale as a story path mechanic? This is our deep dive episode, so we can actually talk about the the nitty gritty. I know that scale causes confusion for some people. I know a lot of people mistake it for size yes um so let's let's kind of define scale and also how you use it in a game okay um scale represents any degree of force that is beyond the human norm um it can be uh, a super powered punch it can be um you know especially big size it can be especially fast speed so objects have scale People can have scale, and uh, you know, supernatural creatures can have just scale as a default. There, what it really is is a metric for determining how far beyond you this thing is, but also tying it to something of an objective benchmark in the setting. So, I can say a motorbike, for example, is maybe scale two in terms of speed. So, if I'm trying to beat it in a foot race, I'm never going to be able to beat it. It's just going to outrace me enormously similarly if i have some sort of very very big sniper rifle like an anti-material tank gun um you know that that, that'll that'll punch through armor that'll that'll go through bulletproof vests that'll that'll do pretty much anything so that has a scale to firearms attacks and so when i'm applying that against people it just it just punches through them now scale has two components narrative and dramatic um Mm -hmm. 
narrative scale works against the environment and trivial targets. Dramatic scale works against named and important characters. So what does that mean? What does that mean in play? Well, it means that if you have scale two for super strength, say, like your, your character is super strong just across the board, um, you can pick up a car with that. You can throw a car with that. Um, the, the car has scale two when it hits someone else because that's what you're doing. Um, you, you could punch someone. Now, realistically, if someone can actually lift a car, like lift a car over their head easily, um, they'll probably be able to punch through a person. And when you apply narrative scale to someone, you, you, you basically do just that. You, you turn them into a fine, chunky salsa. <laughs> Splork. Yes. Gross. But, you know, if you look at something like, if you look at, at superhero fiction, especially something like The Dark Knight Returns, even when Superman hits Batman, and, you know, by all means, by all, by all rights, Batman should be chunky salsa, Batman will go, say, flying back 20 feet and slam into a car or something like that and, you know, have a massive bruise, but he won't be punched through. So that's the difference between narrative and dramatic scale kind of right there. Um, Batman's a named character in, in the game. He's an important character. He may be a PC fighting an NPC. Um, and the, 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 that's the way scale gets applied against him. Now, at a certain level, which is three and above, we, we, we just say, you know, that the difference in scale is too great for you to, to overcome no matter what your dice rolls are, no matter this or that. The whole right. purpose of scale is to keep things relative and also to ensure that dice rolls are always relevant. The example of too much scale I found was actually really illustrative, turned out to actually be uh, they came from me to see, is because when I was working the scale rules for that, um, the, the giant monster versus bullets conundrum. You know, it's like the scale of the monster's armor is just too great for the force of the bullets, so the bullets just bounce off. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was handled in a very interesting and elegant way when we when it came to profiling those uh, respective threats like centipus mm -hmm. for instance uh, they the way to beat monsters like that that are completely off of the average human scale is through um, it's essentially more of a puzzle that you have to unlock you know, you uh, so in the case of Centipus, you generally have to get inside Centipus and work your way out. You know, cut your way out. It's more of a series of challenges rather than a stand-up or knock-down, drag-out fight, right. uh, which makes sense. You know, and makes sense for the average uh, human taking on a god as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Credit, credit to where it's due. Um, the scale system was originally designed by Malcolm Shepard in another book. Uh, speaking of Malcolm Shepard and. Um, I appropriated it uh, with his permission for story path because I thought it was a very elegant mechanic and very easy to understand. Yeah, no, it does. It, it, it makes sense. And of course, with, uh, with, with Aberrant, as we already kind of mentioned it, we actually got into negative scale, which was fun uh, because they're like, how do you do Ant-Man? You know, mm -hmm. it's like, well, sometimes he is very tiny. Yep. So there's subatomic things happening and all this stuff so yeah they had to kind of mess mess with the scale system a little bit with that too but that's that's what's so cool about it is i mean in the past you know two minutes we've talked about three different games that all use scale in slightly different ways but that mm -hmm. all make sense and i know some folks had trouble with it i think the biggest misconception is the scale equal size because right. it is really easy to be like you know i am a scale one human that is a scale six skyscraper or whatever i forgot what the actual you know 
examples are. But it's like, yeah, but that that still kind of makes sense. Because if you're trying to punch a skyscraper, not much is going to happen. <laughs> I think the other thing that kind of came up uh, uh, initially with confusion is people assume scale was global. Right. Um, so it's like, okay, well, this motorcycle scale too. So it's scale two for everything, for size, for speed, for endurance and density, whatever. And that's not yeah. true. It scales based on specific concepts. Yeah. Scale is meant to be something that's sort of eyeballed and you, you should absolutely be able to tell what scale something is just by benchmarking it and just be like, okay, that's scale two, that's scale three. You look at a skyscraper. Yeah. That's scale six, you know, the, the, that sort of thing. Superman has scale six for strength. That it just makes sense. They're there. They illustrate the top tier. Once you define the top tier, you can kind of fill in the, the tiers below. Um, just you know, thinking about it. So it's meant to be something very quick. It's meant to be something very easy to compare. And if someone has scale three for an action, say, um, so say you're say you're um, riding along on that motorbike. That's scale two for speed. Uh, but your opponent is a super speedster, like the Flash, um, and they have scale mm. three for speed. Well. That means your opponent effectively has scale one over you. So rather than rolling, you know, scale two and three and applying all of those uh, messages, you would uh, uh, applying all of those um, enhancement rather, uh, you would just be uh, doing scale one and applying it to one person. Right, which totally makes sense. So let's talk about another mechanic before we get more into setting. Um, let's talk about enhancement. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because we brought it up. Uh, that's something else that's given a couple people confusion. I know both on the forums and on various places that I've seen. Um, I know that we were talking a while back, uh, Neil, you kind of explained it as like, we essentially front-loaded a lot of the dice mechanics that are not front-loaded right. in other games. Um, so do you want to explain that a little bit? Because some people have been like, I've, I've seen folks say like, it's so complicated. you got to think about so much before you roll the dice. And you do have to think about a little bit more before you roll the dice than other games, but it's just because we kind of reverse the order of how you think about it. So yeah, if you want to explain that a little bit you know, better than I can probably. So StoryPath wants you to think about what you're going to be doing as you're doing it. It wants you to think very clearly about the actions you're taking. Um, mm -hmm. So your dice pool doesn't really change for an action, right? If you're taking a forceful method of hacking at something you're, you're applying your intellect to it um it switches things up from with a lot of storyteller and storytelling adv advocates and you know devotees might uh look at because it's a skill plus attribute essentially right an attribute is further defined as the arena you're doing whether it's physical mental or social and the approach you're taking forceful finesse or resistance and so, you know, what am I, what am I trying to do? Oh, I'm a, I'm a hacker, and I'm trying to stop someone from actually uh, getting into my system. Someone's, someone's launching an attack on my system. So that's pretty easy. You're, you're, you're hacking. So you're using some sort of computer role, and then or technology role, whatever, whatever you want to have, and you're resisting it. You're, you're trying to stop them. Um, right. Now, if you wanted to say, I'm going to launch a counterattack on their system instead, um, you wouldn't be resisting it. You, you would be forcefully attacking them right back. Um, and you know, if you said, oh, I'm going to let them attack me, but I'm going to run a, a, a little trace on their system 
So they're going to get what mm-hmm. they want, but I'm going to find out where they are. That's more of a finesse thing, really. Right. Yeah. So you can you can break down what you're what you're doing pretty easily. It's the how you're doing it that gives you a little bit of trouble. Now, then on the part of the story guide, um, they need to set a baseline difficulty, and that's a sort of an objective. How how hard is this task? Um, and that's easy to do. Um, it's it's an eyeball. It's a one to five number, basically. Complications are what I've seen give people the most trouble so far. Mm-hmm. And so complications are fairly easy. And I give I give some advice in the book of just fold it into difficulty and have it pop out later. But complications are basically think of them as optional objectives on the task. You can still succeed at a task, but you haven't fully succeeded upon it. There was someone in the for, on the forums. It might have been RPG.net. Um, who was saying, well, I don't understand. Like, if I'm going to land a plane, that's like difficulty three. By the dice math, that means that 70% of, of, of plane uh, flights end in crashes. And I'm like, well, no, first off, because you have like a 98% chance if you actually math it out of being fine. But if you don't buy off all the complications of landing a plane, it may actually only be difficulty one but there's a, a two-point complication attached to it. You don't crash and everyone dies. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, what that complication says is that you damage the landing gear or something, and it needs to be it needs to be repaired before you can take back off. And actually, that happens all the time. Like if you've ever been on a, a, a plane and you've had a rather rough landing, and you hear like a little bit of a grinding noise, that's you know the, the that's that's the pilot not making their roll and. Mm. That just means that the, the the service crew is going to be working overtime to get the plane back in service. But, you know, you get off the plane, none the wiser. Everyone's fine. Right. So rather than trying to assess every difficulty right off the bat, which you can do, and if, if there's a set action, we encourage you to think about it ahead of time, you can either put the complication in and say this is a difficulty two thing with a complication two of X, Y, Z. Or you can just say this is difficulty four. You can you can ballpark it a little high, and then when they fail to meet that, you say, okay, well, we go to consolation rolls. Consolation rolls are your your failing forward mechanic. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're you succeed, but this bad thing happens that causes a further complication down the line, um, and eventually those complications can and will catch up to you. Um, and the complication could be multiple things. Most commonly, it's a it's a success penalty that you need to further buy off to avoid more bad things. Um, but sometimes it can be damage, it can be discovery, it can be all sorts of things. The example I most commonly like to use is that of a cat burglar breaking into a skyscraper, and you have an alarmed window, right? And you say, okay, the actual difficulty to break into this window is pretty small. It's it doesn't have a great lock on it. Um, so it's probably difficulty one, but to not trip the silent alarm, that's probably difficulty two, mm-hmm. or it's probably complication two rather. So the actual difficulty the storyteller might, the story guide might give you is uh, difficulty three. Say so it's difficulty three to break into there, but you know when when you fail to do that, when you, when you only get two successes, you're like, well, you didn't buy off the complication, so you you break the window, but you notice the silent alarm has been tripped. So you only have a few minutes 
to do what you need to do inside the skyscraper before the police come and start searching the building. Right. So you, you still succeed. You don't succeed as well. Right. And if you choose to fail, to fail utterly, like you fail to pick the lock, um, generally story path says you, you don't get to try again. You, you have just failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lock is unpickable with your current tools or you have jammed it to a degree where it needs to be fixed and you don't have the ability to do that. Um, but you get momentum, which goes into the group resource pool as another type of consolation. And you have to find another way in the building, essentially. Right. I um I really hate in role-playing games when you know you come across like a locked safe and someone's like, okay, I lock pick it. And they roll like just under the number that they needed to. And they're like, well, can I try again? And it's like, yeah. Like, well, what, is, what has changed? Right. You know, you, you're just going to keep rolling until you get it. Um, and that can make sense in like a stressful situation. If you're trying to pick the lock and there's a gunfight happening all around you, it makes sense that you could try again and try to break it open. But, yeah. but also possibly yeah. with some kind of disadvantage because you're distracted and stressful. Right. So uh, the whole thing is that I just want to keep dice rolls interesting. And I want to keep the meaning of them interesting so that it's meaningful every time you roll. So Story Path actually calls for a lot less rolls than most games do, if you, if you go by the rules. Um, because I want each one to be meaningful, and I want you to be thinking about what you're doing with it. Yeah, we didn't roll too terribly much during our actual play. I mean, we rolled when it made sense for us to roll, like when it had actual stakes. Yes. But if it was just like running down a hallway or whatever, it's like, yeah, you can run down a hallway. Like you can, you know, bang on a door. You can do this. You can, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah. It was mostly things like preserving someone's life or, um, yeah, trying to knock a door down, that sort of thing. Yeah. Or like trying to make sure that the building didn't collapse on us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or throwing the other scion into the water. Who's a scion? Oh, maybe. Spoilers. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Just Spoiler alert. <laughs> Jesus. Um, well, I'm sure he totally survived then because that was totally my plan the entire time. Y'all keep making these weirdly perfect segues. Um, so I was going to say, now that we've talked a little bit about some of the nitty gritty mechanics that people occasionally have issues with, um, let's get into Scion. Let's get an actual setting and we can, you know, thread in some more mechanics where we need to. Um, I want to start with Origin. So in, in Origin, let's say you're just me, but in the Origin world and not a scion what does the world look like uh the world looks pretty much exactly like it does now um there are some more adherence to ancient religions um so you might be able to go down downtown and instead of seeing four different types of christian church you see two types of christian church and then a norse church and maybe like an aztec temple for example mm-hmm. and you walk down the street instead of a uh, someone wearing a cross or a saint's medallion, you might see someone wearing a Thor's hammer, a Thor's hammer medallion, which I think in the circles we run in, you're likely to see anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, I have friends that sell those. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Shout out nerdy Cappy. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so it doesn't look too much different, but the differences are much more subtle. Um, someone was essentially, someone on, again on RPG.net was saying this, the world of Scion doesn't make any sense if gods, you know, have been actively intervening and there's these ancient religions have an unbroken line of transmission back to their original sources and there have been Scions all throughout history, the world would be dramatically transformed. And I'm like, well, yes, but then we'd be playing a high fantasy game. We wouldn't be playing 
Scion. Yeah, I would be playing an, an, an urban fantasy game. Yeah, it's it's a it's a suspension of disbelief I'm asking you to make that history has more or less resolved the same way it has mm-hmm. um, due to the the scale of people. Because, you know, in a, even in a global population of 7 billion, 7 billion plus, there's maybe a couple thousand Scions. And most of them don't get visited. They're just... You know, they they just exist. They are exceptional people, of right. of of whom you probably know a few who are just overachievers in life. Um, and you're like, okay, you know, that guy's an overachiever, but you don't think there's anything overtly supernatural about him. Megan Fitzgerald. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. That is that is my headcanon now. Uh, she is an unvisited scion of I'm assuming like the Dagda or somebody. I'm gonna I'm gonna go yeah, with Lou because she's pretty Lou? good at everything. Yeah, Lou, Lou, Lou works. All right. Um, okay, so, but what I kind of got from the books, and I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that people kind of at least vaguely know these things exist. Like, even because, like, there are talks about people, you know, if a Scion does something exceptional in public, it's probably going to go on social media. Right. So, like, people at least know these things exist, but they may never encounter one of these people. Right. And again, that's actually not that big of a change from our world um you can you can find articles about um indian gods being summoned for court cases essentially um you you go to new york and you talk to some of the communities who who speak to the lower and are ridden by the loa um you go many 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 places in the u.s and you'll find people who profess a profound belief in god and jesus christ and feel christ's uh presence in their lives every day so it, uh, that idea, that, that that certitude that comes with faith mm-hmm. is not that big of a leap. It really isn't. And it's not as big of a leap as most people think it is. I will say there is a vast difference to me, at least, between hearing somebody on the street say, I feel like, you know, God is with me and seeing someone shoot a giant snake with a lightning bolt. Like, to me, those There's are pretty vastly different. Right. But I I mean, on, on a... On a on a personal level, yes. Actually seeing them do it might radically change you. And that's fate binding uh, right. in, in play. And that's a big reason why scions need to be a little bit careful about how showy they are. Um, because because fate will smack them down for it. It will make, them, make the person seeing it important in their story. If you're just watching a YouTube video, well, I mean, I, I've seen the Avengers movies. I've seen Thor hit someone with a lightning bolt. I'm like, that's awesome, but it's not awe-inspiring, as it were. No, if it, and even if it is commonplace, I guess, uh, talk of these things happening, until you witness these things in person, there's always going to be a certain sense of remove. And you're still going to wake up the next day needing a cup of coffee, and oh, by the way, the boss wants the spreadsheet done, like, this morning. So, mm. you know, you're cool, your frost giants exist, neat, but... I, I got to make these sure these numbers add up on the column. Right. Yeah. Your mundane life is still um, – th- th- there's a difference between Scion. There's there's a divide between the profane and the sacred. Um, the profane world still goes on even as the sacred one intrudes in it more. Mm-hmm. But one would assume the, uh, I guess, antagonistic elements and more manipulative and capricious elements of uh, the world in Scion, the gods, for instance, and um, and various – spawn of titans uh interact mostly with their own kind 
So uh, that is to say, if you are a, a hero in the world of Cyan, you are going to be exercising most of your powers on these creatures that are similar to you. Um, rather than walking down, um, I don't know, Wall Street and and blasting windows open with fireballs. Right. So um, one of the most important things for me in Scion, well, well, one of the big questions that someone asked me is, so what do Scions actually do? And this is a, a very important question for a lot of role-playing games, because a lot of times you'll get very far into designing a game, and someone will ask that question, and you need to have a good answer. Mm -hmm. I think I asked Eddie that question last week about something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you do? What are you doing here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name names for games, but there, there have been some games in our catalog where you don't really do anything. And it's pretty obvious. And you're like, there's no real purpose to what we do. And some games get a second edition to address that. Some games don't. And that's okay. Um, but Scions, Scion First Edition, you, you, you were basically being visited as a new generation of demigods um, to be fodder for the Titan War. The Titans were escaping. They were really – they were reigniting the Titanomachy against the gods. And you were being, you were being visited uh, as to be, to be foot soldiers essentially in the war with the hopes that some of you would eventually become gods – and take the fight to the Titans, um, but maybe, maybe not, right? Mm -hmm. um, second edition takes a much more longer view of things. The The war between the gods and the Titans is a cold war. Titans are escaping, and they're starting to rework their machinations in the world, but it's a slow burn. It could fizzle out. It could turn hot. So what Scions normally do is they're visited partly because their parent likes them, maybe because their parent needs a task done, um, but mostly to act as a god's intermediaries in the in the mortal world. So, which which is sort of the role of ancient heroes in in the Greek conception of it. So, you as a hero work to basically balance that mortal and divine side within yourself, and you work to balance it in the lives of the people who are important to you. So, you, you get a lot of messages from your parents. You get a lot of talk. You deal a lot with their cults and their religions. Um, and dealing with things as a religious figure, essentially, is is a part of Scion that a lot of people don't think about but is very important and becomes more important once you reach the demigod stage. Right. So so, so going on from, um, from Origin of Heroes. So in Origin, like if you're playing at Origin level, which is what we, we did in the actual play, um, you are, you are pre-visitation. You have not been visited by your divine parents. So you haven't come into your powers yet. So, right. So, so we, we talked about life as a straight-up mortal, like a non-fate-bound mortal. What is life like as a a non, a non pre-visitation scion? That's that's the phrase I couldn't think of, mm -hmm. that one. Um, with, in a life as a pre-visitation scion, you, you, you're generally exceptional in some way. You're, you generally have some attribute that sets you above other people just naturally, by, by dint of perseverance, by dint of will, by, by dint of talent or ability. Mm -hmm. you're, you, are, you are superior in some, some manner. Additionally, your life and your childhood are full of omens. Um, they, they are full of signs of your, your true parentage, signs of your impending divinity, um, signs of what 
uh, of what your origin actually is. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a couple examples in the core book, but you know, if you're a scion of of Kukulain, for example, or the reincarnation of Kukulain, um, every time you go into like a kennel or a dog shelter, all the dogs might just like bow their heads out of respect and just like just like lay on the floor basically and acknowledge you as the alpha. And that's just something that's happened to you all your life. It's like Harry Potter talking that's, to snakes. <laughs> exactly. It, it, in fact, exactly like that. Yes, you could maybe you can understand the language of snakes and you just don't know why. You just do. Yeah, you're like snakes just speak English. I don't understand. Yeah, and nobody and, and the thing is, you know, again this comes back to well, you know, if, if this is if, if gods are, are real and provably real, uh, then faith is meaningless. And it's like, you know, gods, gods and supernatural things don't really submit to the scientific method. If, you know, you go up to if you go up to Thor and say, you know, I'd like to take your measurements. He's being like, no, like <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured it in just that exact like petulant voice. No, no. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. Good callback, guys. Good callback. <laughs> yeah. What? Um. It, which actually brings me to a to a, a point that you and I were discussing earlier, Dixie, is the the difference between um the popular conception of gods and their mythological conception. Right. But. Are you gonna make a point about that, or just bring it up? Uh, I guess I'm gonna make a point. About <laughs> we're, not that. About it. we're not gonna talk about it again. We already talked about it. We don't need to like, go over it. Yeah, we 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 talked about it privately in context of making a different role playing game book. So yeah, let's just that's that's it. That's that's all the audience wants to hear, right? Y'all are good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Scion uh, likes to balance mythological accuracy and what's really good for a role playing game, like what what is fun to play with. Yeah, and ultimately the the latter ladder has to have priority because we are making a game we're not making an academic text and even if we were making an academic text history and mythology are full of contradictory stories about the gods mm-hmm. don't i know it yeah researching for these books is hard so you know f- for example when we were talking about thor uh you know you were like oh i think of thor as very compassionate and big-hearted and a little boisterous and i'm like well he he is those things but he is also the same guy who got really drunk one time and then put a hole in the bottom of his father-in-law's boat just by stomping on it really hard, like a petulant child. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a story. That's an actual story about Thor. And then his dad was like, hey, did you do this? And he was like, nope. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you had these stories about, uh, about the gods – going in there and they're, they're all real. But one of the things I like to encourage my writers is, you know, do your research, um, but incorporate what you like and what feels right to the character and the spirit of the character and in the game that we're making and the way we're portraying it. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit in terms of what books we're talking about, but I wrote some of the Terra Incognita for Demigod. Um, and specifically, I wrote a lot of the Underworlds. And one of the things that I found was that I I really did have to like pick and choose which versions I used mm-hmm. because otherwise some of them would have been featureless gray voids. And that's always fun. Yeah, isn't that where you want to role play, Eddie? A featureless gray void? Like you just want to hang out there for a few hours? That's just my life. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but I mean, really like if there are two or three descriptions of it and one of them includes at least like a tower, I'm like, oh, I can work with that. Okay, right. let's put a weird tower in the featureless gray void and then the players have something to do. 
and that's that's what I found when I was looking at a lot of those myths was like you, you would look at, at the myth of the god of the underworld for that one because you know they've got to be included too if that's their home right. and kind of be like they don't do much in this version but in this version they have all kinds of interesting character traits so we'll go off of that one you right. know and I think it goes back to a theme we've, we've touched on a couple of times now is that at the end of the day we have to make a role-playing game a role-playing game that's going to generally slide towards action adventure and intrigue and whatnot so we're not necessarily being academically rigorous on some of these things they will pick and choose which parts make the most sense to make the most interesting compelling game Yes, we are we are as academically rigorous as possible to be while still making a compelling game. Exactly right. <laughs> that is yeah. fun to play. Like we do have a lot of cultural consultants and stuff on Scion, which is great, and a lot of people who have, you know, various expertise in this stuff, and a lot of people who have just done a shit ton of research regardless of expertise. And um they all work super, super hard, but then you get to things like, you know, Scion Dragon, and it's like, well, that's that's even less real than mythology right. so you know anyway so back to back to my kind of like wandering along the path so once you've been visited by your your parent or your you know person who is choosing you because that is also an option how does your life change neil even if you've been told that you're the child of a god yeah like if you're like mom tells you yeah yeah even if you've been told that you're the child of a god now you know it like you know it to your bones you feel it Similarly, if you're chosen by a god, then all of those little weird things about your life, all those little omens, um, have all basically led you to this point. This is your destiny. And the, the actual act of choosing a god, uh, or choose, choosing a scion, I should say, by a god, um, it, it's not something done on a whim. The, the, the scion to be must be mythologically resonant with the god. Um, if you're a scion, going to be a sign of Horus, you probably lost an eye. Um, if you're going to be a sign of tear, you probably lost a hand, um, and so on. But you're stern, you're you're just, you're concerned with that sort of thing. Maybe you lost your hand in a sacrifice to save other people, mm -hmm. um, and so that makes you resonant with the god. Just just to clarify to you, you don't have to have lost an eye or a hand. There can be other ways you resonate with those gods. Just so you know, you absolutely you, you can, and that's fine. But you don't have to. Yeah. Although interesting side note, we are actually delving a little bit in demigod into some uh disability metaphors in mythology mm -hmm. and how to play those out in scion in a respectful manner uh for disability advocates mm -hmm. so you know because yes because you don't have to have lost a hand or an eye but people do all the time in myth and in real life yeah and in real life <laughs> um and what does that what does that mean uh, for a god, what does that mean for a sign? How do you play that in a game, um, but in a way that doesn't actually hurt or insult people? Right. So, which I mean, we've done so much of that kind of sensitivity reading already on Scion because we're going into so many real world religions and and myths and histories. So I think that adding that other layer on top of it was just kind of natural. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, well, if we don't want to offend any of these cultures, we also don't want to offend, you know, disabled folks. <laughs> like, let's just. Blanket everything. Yeah, while we're there. here, let's go there extra miles. Yeah, it's a super inclusive game already, so it's like let's just keep doing that. <laughs> yep. Um. Okay. So so you 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 find out you're a god. You get your first you know couple of hero powers. Let's. I think one of the things that I'm I've always been interested in in the like origin to hero thing is is the transition itself, because like one day you're a college student, and the next day it's like oh so and so's your dad, and you have. You can you can shoot lightning. W what do you do with that? Like what? 
where where does a, a typical story go with that? So first off, um, your your life will always be interesting with a capital I from now on. Yeah. You will you will always run into some sort of conflict. You will always run into some sort of trouble. Um, you don't get to retire to a nice house and run a travel agency uh, for the rest of your life. Man, that was my plan for our Scion game. <laughs> I just wanted to role play running a travel agency for the next several sessions. Sorry, Matthew. Our listeners are going to be so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're laughing, but uh, I, I've seen players do that in game. I, I was, I was running a pirate game once, and I was intending for it to be. Uh, a several session thing and you know uh, maybe an ongoing campaign and the first session or so the players basically conned into a really big score Mm -hmm. like a huge score of diamonds and they're like no we're just gonna buy an island and live there for the rest of our lives (laughs) i was like great game over thanks guys (laughs) good yeah i've done that as a player yeah (laughs) I have, I have listened to a game recently on one of my podcasts where they kind of accidentally ended up being being potato farmers. So they had to <laughs> figure out a way to not be potato farmers anymore. <laughs> but they weren't scion potato farmers. No, they were more like D&D hero potato farmers, but still. Right, and scion mm-hmm. potatoes yeah. would like actually turn out to be actual titans and they would, you know, grow out and try to attack people. Ooh, ooh. Potitans. Scions never get to retire. They they never... I'm sorry, don't, don't, that, you say Titan, I say That was a joke bomb. It just took me a second to realize it was a joke before it exploded in my face. That's why I did lay out there. Potitan chips. Uh, anyhow. Salt and vinegar, potitan chips. Good idea. <laughs> I can't. Yes. Uh, scions never get to retire. They never get to settle down. They never get to rest. Um, it's just not something that happens. Right. You don't get to slow down. If they, um, if they say they're going to retire, it turns into every cop movie where he's one day before retirement, right? Yes. Or, or you know, their house gets blown up because then someone keeps pulling them back into the world. Get, they're like, damn it. Someone kills our dog, yeah. <laughs> someone, yeah. Something like that happens. Trouble, trouble will always follow you. So your life suddenly gets a lot more interesting. You find yourself embroiled in a lot of things very suddenly. Additionally, you find yourself to be an actual religious figure of import. Like, whether whether you want it or not— um, if you are if you are known to be a scion of a god, um, people will seek you out, and people will treat you as a sort of celebrity, and people will look to you to sort of emulate their lives and look to your your successes as something to try to strive for in their own lives. You're you're a hero. You you have some sort of impact on the cultural consciousness. Mm-hmm. So you very much, whether you like it or not are permanently in the spotlight and there will always be trouble following you. I also you. think it's, a, it's it's worth kind of noting that um, when you're talking about heroes here, you're not entirely meaning hero in the modern sense of someone who is a good person. Hero is more like a mythological sense of someone who is, you know, a, a, a bit above average humanity, right? Y- yeah, this is this is an exceptional person. Um, hi- history has its eyes on you mm-hmm. and it always will. Um, and there's nothing you can do to change that anymore um also giant monsters will occasionally try to eat you like you do just because yeah. yeah uh and if you're known to be a scion then your parents has enemies and they might want to strike at you by strike at your your parents by coming after you the same way anyone else would maybe it's to elicit a response from your parents maybe it's just to 
you know, really stick it to him because some gods are vindictive cusses. Mm-hmm. But stuff happens to you in your life. So you are this religious figure of import, and the general charge you get is you, you need to be able to balance and act as an intermediary between your parents and the mortal world. Mm-hmm. And you need to be able to – a lot of times that, that results in you doing their bidding. Sometimes it results in you giving them the finger to the to the sky. But you're always doing something in reaction to that and to the commands from above. Right. And also possibly other members of your pantheon that may try to use you in various ways. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's, all, it's all one big happy family. It's just, and, and sometimes literally, especially for the Greeks. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, so, like, I'm I'm playing a scion of Persephone in our, our scion game. And so, like, I can see, like, Hades trying to talk to me, too, sometimes. Maybe. Yep. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like, hey, don't make my wife really happy. <laughs> and I'm like, really? There's two of you I have to deal with. And yeah. also, like, her mom. You know, like, there, there's, like, there are a lot of gods connected to Persephone. And you see that in a lot of mythology where, like, yes, technically they're all separate gods, but there's a lot of, like, familial connections or, or other or sometimes weirder connections. Sometimes it's the same person who's three gods because mythology is strange. Um, but yeah, so like they can use you for interpantheon, you know, squabbles or intrapantheon squabbles. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. So you are acting very much as an agent of your parents, whether you like it or not. Yeah. In in hero. Well, yeah, because like like you said, even if you've kind of given them the finger and been like, you know, you're not my real dad, then their enemies are still coming after you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No. So, no. <laughs> what? We were just doing the no again. We're we're bad people. No. No. <laughs> I don't no. want it. <laughs> hey, 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 Sion, will you do that for me? Nope. Nope. <laughs> well, it, it, and a very smart god will, and a very manipulative, cunning god will know that you're going to say nope and then find a way to make you do it anyway or work your nope into their greater plans. So you're doing their bidding anyway. You can't fight fate. I can't think of any examples of gods that would do such that a thing. Are, that are manipulative jerks? No. no. They don't exist. Mm. Seems like a Hermes kind of a thing. Playing with someone's messages like that. <laughs> Their routine responses, twisting them around. Yeah, I could see that. Nope, nope. All, all gods are great and noble. None of them do anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> gods right. gods so, reflect the people who made them. That's a Zora Neale Hurston quote. Yeah. Mm, true. Yeah, totally. So hero level tier, you're running around, you're you're doing kind of mortal level-ish intrigue, but on the bidding of the gods and occasionally fighting against monsters and things that are, you know, your your level thereabouts, or possibly other scions, etc. Right. Highest scale you can reach in um, uh, scion origin is scale two, whether that's material, whether that's by super, dint of supernatural power. And that's the sort of thing, like, you can, you can enthrall a city... Uh, you can lift a car and throw it. Wait, do you mean do you mean Scion Hero? You said Scion Origin. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, and Scion Hero. Okay. I was like, whoa, something change. I was like, you can't throw cars in Origin. What are you talking about? You can't enter yeah. all cities. All right. Yeah, okay. you can. You, I'm sorry. You can do that in Hero. I tend to actually think of them as as more one one very big book rather than two separate ones. Well, it's not Neil. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 So. Yeah, uh, you know, at that at that level, you're really very much doing mortal um, level stuff, maybe more street level types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you still you are still much superior to, to normal people. You you can uh, call down miracles if need be. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you're still mostly human. You're human in divine side yeah, of balance. Is, this is your this is your Luke Cage. This is your Jessica Jones. Right. Or... Yeah. Mm. Which which weirdly enough, the character I played in the second LARP we did at Midwinter was Jessica Jones, pretty much. That was what I based her on. Oh, yeah. Really? The <laughs> description of her was like she's a really skeptical private detective who doesn't really like people. And I'm like, so it's Jessica Jones. Um, right, so I yeah. just put on a leather jacket and some jeans and red lipstick and just was mad the whole time. It was, it was very easy. I, I, I even went and got a whiskey. Cause why wow. not? Yeah. Jessica Jones and Luke Cage are very good examples of scion characters who go along similar paths, but their powers look very different. Like Jessica Jones mm. goes all in on Epic strength. Like that's all she does. Mm -hmm. whereas luke cage goes much more for the epic strength and epic stamina um trees and and takes boons in both yeah but also her you know her favorite approach is definitely force yeah i would say his might be resistance actually yeah when you first meet him he's like i just want to live my life go away (laughs) like i'm not here for this but he can't trouble always finds him what great analogies we're doing right now. I love this. Um, so I know we've been talking for close to an hour. Um, I do want to get a little taste of some of the upcoming books before we stop talking. It is all of our deep dive episodes. We always end up like hitting time because we're like, this is interesting. I want to keep talking about mm-hmm. it. Um, so let's talk Demigod and then we'll talk some of the kind of like side books that we're doing. So Demigod, I know that you've read a lot of the first drafts at this point. Yes. Um, so what... What is that shaping up to be like? You need to give us kind of a broad overview since I know things might change and we don't want to promise anything to people. I'm going to discuss this in light of Scion first edition for a moment. Um, and I, I'm not bashing the Elder game. I'm just I'm just sort of criticizing it and talking about how this edition is a reaction to that. Okay. Scion Demigod yeah. first edition was very much hero plus. You didn't do much much different things mm-hmm. you, you weren't substantially a different character your powers were just a little bigger and you know the system broke a little harder and yeah it's like it's right. like going up one generation in vampire or something yeah, yeah essentially you're still playing the same game and even even if you're going from you know generation eight to seven oh i can get six six level dot powers um you know you're you're still very much the same game yep I didn't yeah. want that for Demigod Second Edition. I wanted you to be playing something different. A hero can can't retire, but if they play their cards right, they they might be able to die in their bed, surrounded by grandchildren, having lived a full and prosperous life. Not that mm-hmm. having grandchildren is a necessity for having a full and prosperous life. <laughs> just using that as an example, right? Like it's the, the the classic. You're surrounded by friends and family when you go. You're surrounded by all the role playing game books you work. Yes. On. <laughs> just in a tomb oh my god i would die a on tomb of role-playing games books yeah wait that's, uh, i didn't say they were on you i said you were surrounded by them every every yeah. like every time i see matthew's uh screen in the background i see his massive shelves of books and i'm like oh no what if those come yeah. down on him same with talking to rich <laughs> yeah someone said that would happen in the onyx path news yesterday that as i they wanted me to check one of the credits in mage the awakening first edition and so i pulled the book out of my shelf and people were typing in the chat log oh god it's gonna fall on it <laughs> <laughs> would have been a wonderful wonderful way to go live on the onyx well, path i mean you news. did almost die during that one vampire video when a branch fell so that's true yeah i think the fate's conspiring so say, against yeah maybe me. it is your fate to be to be crushed by some kind of object while on you know trying to film <laughs> something for youtube <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Neil, sorry. Full and prosperous life. Demigods do not do that. Demigods will die, and they will probably die 
a pretty violent death. Um, when you make the choice to become a demigod, it's not something that just automatically happens. You, you need to make the choice to do it, and there needs to be a, a sort of ignition point um, in, in, in the game for that to happen. Um, because otherwise you just plateau at, 11, at Legend 4 mm-hmm. for the rest of your life as a hero. And some heroes do that it, because being a demigod kind of sucks. When you're at the hero level, your mortal side and your divine side are in balance. And demigods have deliberately chosen to focus on their divine side. And it's a fire on the inside of them. And it drives them towards great things, but it also sears them and cooks them from the inside. Yeah, delicious. Yeah, your 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 blood is boiling. So you're driven on to do these great things. You essentially are, are declaring to the universe, I am going to become a god. I am going to shed my mortality. And, you know, shedding your mortality generally only happens one way. And there are plenty of plenty of gods who died very violent deaths. Uh, one of the examples we use in Hero is a uh, Divus Julius, Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. Um, Julius Caesar uh, unified unified a, a fragmented Roman Republic and uh, destroyed an entire people and an entire pantheon as a demigod. And you know, um, he was killed by his best friend, essentially, or one of his best friends, uh, betrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a dramatic tale. It's a harrowing tale. Um, and he became a god. That's how he shed his mortality. But it's not pleasant, and it leaves scars. So Demigod itself as a game describes a very tight plot arc where you plot out the milestones of becoming a god ahead of time. And these are the feats you need to accomplish in order to do that. Yeah, these are these are your labors of Hercules. This is your hero's journey. This is, right. yeah. Exactly. Um, hero and origin are very much the, the first the first leg in the journey, and that's it. And you didn't, when you don't even realize you're really on the journey, mm-hmm. like this is, this is the work. Um, and you can fail. You can get to the end. You can have fucked up most of your, uh, most of your deeds and most of your mm-hmm. feats, and you can reach the end and die and not become a god. It happened to Kukulain. It always happens to Maui. Um, but maybe it won't happen this time. Maybe you can do that a little bit better. Maybe maybe Maui can finally beat death. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so that's going to be kind of more of the playstyle for that. Let's talk a little bit. There's there's going to be some more pantheons coming around and some other places to go, stuff to do. What are what are some demigod tier uh, places to go and things to fight? Okay, uh, well we're as you mentioned before, we're expanding at the Terra Incognita uh, to talk about the underworld, and I thought that was a natural progression because so many myths talk about demigods going down to the underworlds. Mm-hmm. Or across the water to the underworlds, or whatever, because underworlds are in weird yeah. freaking places, as I found out when I was researching. <laughs> the descent to the underworld is very, very, very common, and it's something that uh, something that a lot of people cite as a sort of universal trope. And it's not universal uh, per se, but it's pretty common, and it's common enough that you want to be able to actually work it in your games. So you can definitely go down to the, a lot of the underworlds. We do have a couple other Terra Incognita that aren't underworlds. That we also feature, but for the most part, it's exploring these much grander deeds that you're doing and dealing with the fact that you are you are leaving a lasting legacy on the world, whether again whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. And so, what kind of legacy are you actually crafting? To again bring up the Hamilton metaphor, um, you know, history has its eyes on you, 
And now in the demigod level, you're much more aware of that. And people thousands of years later still talk about Kukulain, still talk about Hercules, still talk about um, Maui. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? Like, what does it mean thousands of years from now, someone's going to be talking about you and the things that you did? And there's just a lot more pressure. It's cranked up to 11. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Yeah. So that's that's going to be Demigod. And of course, we'll get more into that as it gets further along on its pathway to becoming a real book. Uh, Yeah. Currently, it's just a a collection of drafts that Neil is painstakingly redlining. System-wise, I I do want to touch on this for a moment, if you'll let me. No. System-wise. You're you're the guest, (laughs) and I dictate what you say. All right. (laughs) No, go ahead. (laughs) System-wise, we're doing a lot of very interesting things that you're probably going to see done similarly the way it's done in Aberrant. Um, We have a similar mechanic called Collateral. Uh, that that uh, talks about the essentially collateral damage that you cause when you when you when you use enormous power and massive effect on a huge scale. So you've got the collateral pool, which affects stuff around you. You've also got something called the divine pool or the divinity pool that um, enhances fate bindings. It builds up and causes your dice pool to fill with with special things called divinity dice that cause extra special large effects we have we have something called dominion boons which when when, when you say a god is a god of something you're talking about a god with a dominion boom when you say agni is fire hercules is strength um yeah you're you're talking about a, a dominion pool and so that not only gives you a much finer control and feel of an element because it's within you right but it also allows people in the scene to access special stunts just by virtue of you being around. So by virtue of someone who is fire being around, everything is more flammable. Like mm. it's just it's just something that happens. And and inspiration sparks a little more readily and tempers flare much more easily. That sort of thing. Like fire is there. Fire is in this is in this scene. Super cool. Yeah. That's gonna be fun. I can't wait to play with that. Mm, that's a nice bit of description. Yeah, because I, I haven't read any of the drafts aside from, you know, my own at this point. So I have no idea what exactly is going on with Demigod. <laughs> I've just seen a lot of the chatter in the Slack. Um, partially because I don't yet know who's going to be editing this since I wrote part of it. Right. And I don't want to ruin myself if I do end up editing the bulk of this book. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, good. Yeah. So I, I did the same thing with, with Pirates of Pugmire, where I was like, I don't want to read any drafts in case I can't find an editor. <laughs> If I can't find one, I'll edit most of it. Um, okay, well that's 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 really really cool, Neil. I actually really love that concept of like you 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 now are the thing, and so you bring the thing with you wherever you go. Mm-hmm. That's super super cool. I cannot wait to be death. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my little goth heart gets so happy. Oh totally. Like, well, I, I can I, I can give you a sneak peek of what some of the death miracles and nope. dominion stunts are. Nope, don't want to read it. <laughs> don't spoil it and read it all at once get really excited like i didn't ask matthew for lasombra drafts we we're working on v5 i just read them why not he gave me lasombra drafts because i wanted to read them in the context of the book neil <laughs> well well you could put put your fingers in your ears so neil can spoil it for the audience it won't go through my headphones go ahead neil talk about the, the death deaths go for it <laughs> okay fine 
Ruiner. Let's see. A Dominion stunt <laughs> is uh, bring them bring them all back to life. It's an occult role, and you can instantly reanimate any and all corpses of trivial targets in the same range band. Let's like, are you see. bringing them back to life, or are you making them zombies? You're making them zombies. Thank God. Okay, that's way cooler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want real people coming back to life. That's just weird. <laughs> I would rather have an army of the dead than just like resurrect people. That's like a different power entirely. That's a that's a life fertility some kind of power you can uh you can you can have an enervating aura that uh um applies to any attack action and all attacks targeting the character are treated as though they have the brutal tag which means you can only choose to resolve the situation with deadly force and um that means anything that gets applied to them has deadly force essentially um so even if someone's trying to pull their punches just by being in the area you're causing death to happen but you also have casual miracles with Dominion Boons. So someone with death just knows the moment a person or animal has died in the local area. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know when someone's about to die. Uh, and they can grant a suffering person or animal a peaceful and painless death. Aww. So rather than lingering, they just pass out and just nice. pass away. Uh, and they can also extend a dying person's an- or animal's life by your legend and days. And they can just keep doing that. I want to play a scion of one of the death gods that's just also really awkward. So they're around somebody who they realize is about to die, and they're just like, ooh, I don't know yep. what to say about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any plans tomorrow? Because don't. Uh, I'm liking this. Uh, it's, it reminds me quite a lot of, and this is in a very good way, of the Horsemen of the Apocalypse as they're presented in Good Omens mm. and... Uh, supernatural, uh, uh, you know the the way the war essentially pervades everything around him or yeah. her with with uh, ferocity, with, with a certain need to break into fights, and of course death does a very similar thing with uh, increasing finality. That actually totally is. That's really cool. Yeah, actually, one of the war stunts is that um, you you gain scale for attempts attempts to shift the atmosphere of a scene to make violent conflict the only acceptable outcome. Like, for example, like you are just by being around, you are encouraging warfare. Oh, I like that. There you go, Dixie. You can be death. I'll be war. Okay. <laughs> Eddie, do you want uh, I guess pestilence or famine? Ooh. Yeah, there's the two not fun ones. So I guess I guess, <laughs> I guess, guess famine would Wait, be Neil, fertility. Which one are you? <laughs> well, there's only one left. Wait, which one did Eddie pick? Famine. Okay, Neil is pestilence. Yeah. It's canon. Yeah, that seems appropriate. <laughs> So pestilence and famine don't exactly fit super well into Scion, actually. Um, they would, it would be fertility and wild, I think. Nope, yeah. this is way better. <laughs> you're at the game, Neil. There you Sorry. go, Neil. You screwed up demigod. Where are our four horsemen of the apocalypse? The point is, if somebody wanted to homebrew like a famine and pestilence, it would actually be really easy to play the four horsemen of the apocalypse in demigod, which would be super freaking fun. That might be something cool oh, for yeah. content to do, or community content to do. And then you can make scions, and they could be the other four horsemen of the apocalypse from Good Omens. <laughs> yeah, I might, I might just do it myself. There you go. There you go. I'm going to get on the story path Nexus yep. and start creating community content. I've not got much work on right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's that's Demigod. That's a really cool power preview. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Neil. Um you want to touch a little tiny bit? I know you're not developing any of these books, but we do have The Scion Companion, we have Masks of the Mythos, we have uh, Dragon, and we have Titanomachy. 
So if you want to say like a brief, like a one sentence thing about each of those, because we're going way over on time. Right. Companion is fulfilling all the Kickstarter goals, of which there were many. So you're going to get three extra pantheons, uh, three and a half extra pantheons. I'm sorry. Um, You're going to get um, rules on what we call the myth level of things about how to fine tune your setting to get exactly the kind of scion setting you want. Um, uh, You know, and, and, you know, expanded relic rules, a whole ton of great stuff. Mass of the Mythos deals with treating Scion as an investigative and primarily horror game, but also having a pantheon as a pure antagonistic pantheon. And that pantheon is the old ones uh, who are slightly different in Scion. Um, some fans were a little concerned about whether this would affect other books. And Mass of the Mythos is sort of its own thing. You can bring it into mainline Scion in your games if you want, but other game, other books in the line aren't going to treat that as as absolutely canon. Right. Titanomachy uh, focuses on the Titans, who are the the main antagonists of Scion. Um, less so much in Second Edition, which was actually a criticism I kind of took to heart, uh, saying that you know, oh yes. Things are a little more interesting now that the Titan War is sort of on the back burner, but um, that that does remove the big driving force from the game. So Titanomachy is really much more about antagonists and dealing with that and dealing with the Titan War being the ways it could possibly go hot and Mm -hmm. the evil and cruelty of certain Titans. Yeah, because you do need, like, if somebody wants to play this as a big antagonistic war game, they need a reason to. Right. A way to, not a reason to. You, you, you don't need any reason. You can play however you want. That's well, especially if the God of War's around, then there won't be a reason. Just naturally do it. Right. And that's 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 Matthew. God of the, War. Right the back. Scion Bestiary talks about uh, some of the... I didn't even mention the Bestiary. You're so much better than I am at that. Uh, I am the Scion lead developer. Um, <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, the beast... Wolves don't care. <laughs> Wolves don't care. Um <laughs> The bestiary uh, deals with uh, creatures of legend, um, so the, the, your satyrs, your centaurs, um, all around the world in the different forms that they take. And it also deals with uh, you, you essentially um, uh, react, like how, how they can react in your games, how they can take part in your games, and if you want to play one of them, like what sort of the special powers you can have, expanding very much on the appendix of the core book. And last but not least, we have Scion Dragon. Um, dragons occupy an outstretched and an outstretched space in humanity's imagination. Every time you think of powerful magical creatures, you think of dragons. And in terms, I don't. Well, I don't like dragons. Okay. Everybody else, Dixie. Everybody else. Nope. Everybody. Nope. nope. Um, <laughs> generally, people think of dragons when they think of powerful legendary creatures. I love arguing with our guests. It's great. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> And so um, if, you, if you think of the Titan War as a Cold War, uh, the dragons are very much a balkanized series of states, and they're very much like gun runners, essentially. They're dealing with both sides. They take a step out from the Titan War. They see t- the Titan War as primarily a battle of humanity, and dragons aren't human. Right. So they're right. sort of biding their time and running ops and missions in the meantime. Yeah, it's very much more uh, espionage focused, much quieter in some respects yeah. than, than Scion. Whereas, because Scion, like you said, everything's interesting and people get wrapped up in your things. Dragons are the opposite, trying to shed perception, shed communication, to try to stay in the shadows as much as possible. Yeah, it's a quiet, yeah. it's a quiet game of espionage, except for when you turn into a fire truck sized uh, right. lizard that flies and breathes fire, and then shit is on. Yeah. 
That's cool. I feel like turning into fire trick size lizards, but it sounds cool. <laughs> no, I know a lot of folks are super into that. Like I've I've actually spoken to, to, to Neil about this. I had a very, very big dragon phase when I was a child. And oh I think that once I got out of my dragon phase, I was just like, I don't want to go back to that. Like I was super into dragons. Like me, me and my friends, when we played pretend, like I played a character who turned into a dragon. And I also like all these like dragon books. I actually dug up some of my kids' books when they were starting to work on dragon to mm. give them for research. Um, so yeah, I was super super into it until suddenly I just wasn't. Yeah. And so yeah, it's just one of those things that like once I got out of it, I was like, nah, not not into it anymore. But the game sounds super cool, and I trust that Danielle is doing an awesome awesome job developing it because Danielle is an awesome developer. She is. I've seen some of the drafts. I'm writing on the book a little bit myself. Um, I'm gonna gonna call Eddie out a little bit for this Uh-oh. um back when we were are we calling what back when, I don't know, i'm calling eddie out for something let me call him out <laughs> building heat yeah i'm building heat building heat <laughs> um back when we were talking about the pitch um you know it was it was me eddie rich and danielle talking about the pitch Ooh. for scion and eddie and rich were like i don't know if she'd be able to really turn into a dragon in the book i don't know i'm like we can't have a game called dragon where you don't actually be a dragon like you gotta yeah. You got to at least turn into a Volkswagen-sized lizard that flies and breathes fire. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe not fire truck in the first book, but yeah. No, I mean, and to be fair, uh, you guys did. Uh, that's one of the things that's nice about the the pitching stage is that we can have a lot of those conversations. Like, what about this? What about this? What about that? Because I remember it was a, on uh, most of like Pax Unplugged. Actually, we had bits and pieces of conversation, kind of talking around the point, and, and like Rich and I were like, ah, I'm not sure about that. And you guys, you know, correctly said, hey, it's a it's a game with the dragons in the title, but if you can't turn a dragon, people are like, why is it called dragon? Um, and, and so it's like, we think that's fair. And so it's like, again, yeah, we talked about it again. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. We, we walked around that. Now it's, it's going in a really strong direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's like either, either change the title or right. <laughs> you've got to be able to be a dragon. Yep. Right. Which I think worked out really well. And then again, that is yeah. one of the best parts about working with, with Eddie and Rich and Danielle and other people, all of you lovely people um, is that everyone wants a good end product. And so any mm-hmm. disagreements are in the service of making a better product. Right. It's it's not just like, nope. You know, it's not just like we're going to do whatever we want to. It's, it's you know, we all want, we're all passionate about making a good game. And if we can have that respectful conversation, then usually we come to a good place. I mean, we had, you and I had a similar working relationship on Becca's She Had Diary. Some of the initial ideas I had were very different from what you took it. And then Matthew brought his own stuff to the mix and went even further in a different direction. Yeah, specifically it was um, the, the the one I, I always remember is the Lupines in the Baba Yaga chapter. And you were mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, this is a vampire game. And I was like, well, yep. you know, we have, we have Baba Yaga, such a, an outstretched figure in Rage Across Russia. And this was that. And I think like that. So we, I, you know, I, I think I think our compromise ended up in an actual better position for the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow, Eddie, way to derail it, the Becca's Jihad Diary. Well, you know, Jacob's got Jacob has his book boyfriend back, so I thought it was worth celebrating that moment. Cut fifty dollars to ship. Always <laughs> good lord. It was worth it. It's a book worth celebrating and paying double the price. <laughs> um, so be, before this gets turned into a Becca's Jihad Diary conversation, since I've got three people that developed on it in here on some level <laughs> um we're getting really long and i don't want this to go until for like an hour and a half and I know people have work to do so matthew do you have one question you want to ask the scion developer about scion oh wait to put me on the you spot you do it to there. me all uh, the time yeah. i finally got you back brother <laughs> what a swerve bro uh, i think 
I made two yeah. wrestling references. 55 episodes is finally paid off. <laughs> Dixie is a Mizark for herself now. Now, Neil. Uh, I've got a question for you, and it's to do with hiring. Um, how did you go about hiring Kieran uh, Gillen for Scion? I asked him. I um, uh, I, I just flat out asked him. I was like, hey, I know you're a big fan of role-playing games. Uh, Where did you ask him? On Twitter? On email? I, on email. Okay. I found his email. I just asked him. And, um, well... Short story. I, well, I, that's the thing is that I, I used to be a journalist and um, I used to be a professional journalist and some people get very starstruck, but I've, I've talked to, you know, I've, I, I have talked to celebrities. I've talked to people very high up in government. I've talked to mayors. I've talked to governors. I've talked to senators and, you know, everybody, everybody's a person. Everybody spends at least five minutes in the bathroom a day. Like nobody's time is so critically important that they can't answer a question. Um, so, you know, I don't really have that fear of just going up to people and be like, Hey, sup. And if you're polite and respectful and you're like, you know, Mr. Dillon, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your work. I really like all of this. And, you know, would you like to write on this? Um, he's like, yeah, it sounds like fun. And I'm like, cool. For those who don't yeah. know, uh, Kieran Gillen is the writer of the comic book uh, Wicked, and, Wicked and the mm. Divine. And if you have not read it and you're a Scion fan, I recommend you go at least pick up the first trade because uh, it has a very, very, very heavy influence on Scion. It's, it's, it's one of the things that we reference in books that inspired yeah. this. Um, and also it's just an excellent comic series. Yes. Mm. All right. Eddie, same question. Uh, I, I can ask new questions anytime I want to. Uh <sighs> For the but listeners, for, yeah, but I might not answer. But I might not answer them. They're but, listeners, yeah, and also Neil is bad. That's at true. Email. That is very true. Uh, so for the listeners, when you, because you weren't the first sign developer, we talked about this, I think, before. Was that uh, Joe Carrick was originally pitched for, it, and then he recommended you, and so you came on board with it. Um, so what was the one thing that really drew you to being able to, being able to shape this new version of the game? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna give you the real arrogant answer I always give here. I was gonna say you're gonna be spiteful, aren't you? I, I am. I'm gonna say um, it had to be me because someone else might have gotten it wrong. Right. Last time he said that to me, I said Orthwan could have done it a lot better, but we'll never know. Yeah, it's a, it's great to have your support in things, Dixie. <laughs> I really appreciate that. You have enough ego already. That's true. Five dots, easy. The thing is, is I, I really did have a vision for Scion. Mm -hmm. I, I had a very strong conception of what the game should be. I did play the game an awful lot in first edition. Mm -hmm. I, I was there through its high points, through its pitfalls, and, I'm, and I've spent, I'd spent many, many years thinking, what, what, how could it be done better? Mm -hmm. How could this be a better game? Joe and I actually had some disagreements starting off, like because I had such a strong idea, and he. Joe, Joseph character Scion in the alternate universe where, where Joe decided to, to stay on as Scion developer is a much more freeform game. Mm -hmm. It's It's got many alternate settings kind of baked into the core. It's got many alternate modes of play. So it's the sort of myth level that we're talking about in the companion would have been completely baked into the actual game itself. So no Scion world would look, would look the same. Right. Essentially per game. You know, it, 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 but I, I thought that one of the big weaknesses of first edition was that it didn't really have a setting. Like there was a, a sort of suggested setting right. uh, in the antagonist section, but there was no setting chapter. There was no part telling you this is what the world is actually like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was like, we, I think we need to invent a, a full setting for this. And you know, even though Joe didn't completely agree with me on a lot of these things, he he basically said Neil Neil's the one who has the vision 
here to, to bring this through. Right. And I will always be thankful to him for, for that belief in me. Very cool. Well, this has been a super fun conversation. I know we've talked a lot about all kinds of things. We could probably keep talking for another hour about Scion because the setting is so rich. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also why I didn't start getting into like all the individual gods or pantheons or whatever. We, we, we may do another conversation about this at some time where we just deep dive into, you know, pantheon deep dive yeah because like that's that's enough in and of itself i mean there are there are literally over a hundred gods in this game and if we start going into like this is my favorite this is my favorite this is cool about this one it's just yeah it'll just be a mythology nerd episode (laughs) which could be fun i'm not ruling it out yeah absolutely Uh, i know that a lot of us are kind of mythology nerds i know neil definitely is um part of why he likes this game um and then if you go on the scion slack it's just nothing but mythology nerds nerding at each other Mm -hmm. uh which is great (laughs) and super fun but thank you for joining us today, Neil. Where can people find you, follow you, check out your work, etc.? cetera? Uh, you can find me uh, as Neil on the forums. You can find me um, at Burnt Neil on Twitter and also in the Scion Discord, um, which we can we can maybe post a link to yeah. in the, the thing. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Scion Discord. Yeah. Um, Eddie, where can people find you, follow you? Anywhere, uh, Pugsteady, um, that's my company name. Uh, or if you want to talk to me personally, uh, Twitter, eddiefate.com, E-D-D-Y-F-A-T-E, or my website, eddiefate.com. Matthew? Oh, you can find me on matthewdawkins.com, and everything of my social media is linked through there. Yeah. And we say this on the Monday blog every week, but if you have an actual play you'd like us to feature or any questions you want Matthew to address in the Onyx Path news segment he does every week, um, definitely go to his website and click the contact button, send him links, talk to him. He is very, very helpful, but we we can't go out and collect everybody's videos every week. So if you want your videos to be featured on our blog, then let us know if mm-hmm. you're streaming any of our content. We'd love to uh, show it off. Exactly. And in turn, if you could leave reviews for this podcast, ratings for this podcast, share this podcast wherever you go. That's hugely appreciated. Everywhere you go, just literally walking through the grocery store, just yelling, hey, hey, Onyx yeah. Podcast is awesome! <laughs> Spray paint it on a nearby bin. <laughs> Get on the loudspeaker at your your local big box store. <laughs> Get chased mm-hmm. out by management, but all in the service of the Onyx Pathcast. All hail the Onyx with Pathcast. That said, all hail the Onyx Pathcast. Well, this is getting real weird. Uh, with that said, <laughs> you can find me at Dixie Cyanide most places or DixieCochran.com. Uh, if you want to look at a list of books I edited, it's not very. And it's a pretty website though. Meredith Gerber made it, so yep. you should probably just go look at it and stare in awe at her work. Uh, you can find us at theonyxpath.com and at the Onyx Path on most social medias, whether it's, you know, Twitch, Twitter, what have you. With all that said, many worlds, one pathcast. Bye.